Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the Definitive Rap Podcast, where we discuss the issues the mainstream media just won't touch. We want to thank Vinnews.com for hosting our weekly shows. At the end of August, the Biden administration committed one of the worst foreign policy blunders of any U.S. administration in history with a disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. He defended himself by saying, I inherited this from the Trump administration. We can debate that falsehood another time. What he did inherit from the Trump administration was a strong peace deal known as the Abraham Accords, which opened doors, agreements, and new opportunities between Israel and the Gulf states. And just as President Trump terminated financial support for the ungrateful PLO offspring known as the Palestinian Authority, the Biden administration is determined to, quote, repair relations with this terrorist entity by opening a consulate in the U.S. as well as in Jerusalem against the wishes of the Israeli government. Today's guest is from the United Kingdom, the great Peter Baum, whom Bela will introduce shortly and who has written numerous columns about the falseness of the Palestinian people and the mythical history and was recently interviewed by the Weekly Blitz, a Bangladesh-based news outlet, for an article for an article titled The Palestinian Issue is Definitely Declining in Importance. We will discuss his interview and other related columns on this subject, including the many quotes from Arab leaders stating unequivocally that there is no such thing as a Palestinian Arab, but that, that they were invented for the sole political purpose of creating war with Israel. Bela? Thank you, Alan. Hypocrisy is a major pet peeve for most of society, and yet the very behavior that is engaged by the people who condemn it are the same people who will say that hypocrisy is a bad thing. They may claim to hold themselves to a high standard for themselves or a particular group, but will not follow the same moral rules and principles for another group. That's what hypocrisy is about. And that is what we are dealing with here in politics today. Our esteemed guest today exposes the hypocrisy and forces society, and especially the media, to face the truth. He questions why does the media purposely ignore the facts and allow false narratives to spread unchecked and therefore multiply, specifically about the Palestinian historical claims and the Palestinian religious claims, the Palestinian legal claims, and about the Palestinian refugees. Our guest, Peter Baum, has spent 40 years working in the international financial markets, bond trading and investment management, and spent much of his working career abroad in Europe, Africa, and Asia, and for a little while in the USA when working for those good old-fashioned uh, banks, Manufacturers Hanover Trust, for those who remember, and Philadelphia National Bank. Now he's a full-time political activist and researcher writing for various online publications, 
which we will be discussing today, and having had articles published in Gatestone and Decisive Liberty, and more recently in Weekly Blitz, published in Bangladesh for an Islamic audience, and Conservative Woman, a UK-based publication which, despite its title, is for all genders, but run by women. He's also a deputy on the board of deputies of British Jews and chairman of New York uh, Local Friends of Israel uh, branch, um, South End Friends of Israel. And he attempts to challenge the false narrative that has morphed into fact about the Israeli-Palestinian issue as evidenced by his online output. Peter, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you and so much for joining us. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, in your writing, you refer to Palestinian claims as the Palestinian fairy tale. So can you please tell us about that and also specifically about how the Arab nations are responsible for the Arab refugee crisis? You wrote in the weekly blitz that it was a successfully implemented political strategy created by the Arab political elite and facilitated by the United Nations because the five Arab nations failed failed to eliminate the Jewish state in 1948. Please tell us about that. Yes, indeed. So what is um, most concerning to um, supporters of the Jewish state of Israel? And one doesn't necessarily have to agree with everything that an Israeli government does. But what is most concerning to people like myself and to you and your audience, I guess, is how the narrative over the last four or five decades has gone something along these lines. Um, That Israel is an apartheid state, that Zionism is racism, that the uh, Jews from Europe um, came Uh, into Israel, uh, came into Palestine uh, just uh, at the turn of the 20th century and stole and colonised the land from the indigenous population, which were the Palestinians. And this narrative has for decades gained such momentum and has been on such an upward trajectory that if you didn't have the Uh, kind of um, knowledge about the subject that people like us have, you would indeed believe that narrative. Why shouldn't you? Why should you look any deeper other than believe um, what the mainstream media and the United Nations, for that matter, have been uh, promoting during the last four or five decades? What is absolutely staggering to someone like myself is that the Jewish state of Israel, with all its competencies and abilities in so many fields and its supporters throughout the world have allowed this false narrative to morph into fact whereby for very good reasons um, younger Jewish children uh, of my of I'm in my mid-60s, but children now in their teens and 20s and perhaps in their 30s have, have um, allowed themselves to buy into this narrative and indeed are very negative on Israel and what it's doing to the Palestinians. So I see it incumbent on people on on myself and other uh, activists to challenge this false narrative and to get it out and distributed and promoted as far as is possible 
given where we are with mainstream media these days. Now, fortunately, people like yourself, and this is going to sound like a paradox, but even social media allow this to happen whereby mainstream media would, to my knowledge, if it does allow it to happen, only allows it only allows people with a voice like mine to uh, be given exposure in a very minority of cases. So over here in the UK, for example, um, we get uh, we I can tune into CNN, NBC, ABC, and various other channels. And if I'm correct, those channels have a slant which is so biased and so negative against the Jewish state of Israel. And it's probably, again, if I'm correct, um, perhaps the Fox News Channel, which gives a, um, they call it a right wing view. I would just call it a centrist view because it challenges the left. So um, the Palestinian fairy tale is an article I wrote, um, which actually goes through each of the elements you mentioned of how I can, it can be proved easily, providing one has the background knowledge, that the Palestinians are a very recent construct, construct, that their legal claims to the geographical area we now call Israel, Judea and Samaria, or the West Bank, or Gaza, um, have no legality whatsoever by UN, League of Nations and United Nations definitions. And also that from a religious perspective, uh, given that the, uh, the Palestinians now consider themselves as Muslim, Islam, Islamic, that there are no um, religious claims as far as Islam is concerned on that particular area. And I can be as detailed or as general as you'd like going through each of one of those topics. I, I tell you where I would like to start, though, how, however, if I may. And that's this. And we're just talking about moral decency. When I get into debate with the pro-Palestinian camp or the anti-Israel or anti-Zionist or anti-Semitic camp, and very often there's no difference between the three, the first thing I expose are the Palestinian charters. Now, the Palestinians have currently two charters. One um, was originated in 1964, but uh, updated in 1968. And that charter governs uh, the area that we will, we will refer to as the West Bank. The Hamas Palestinian Charter was created in 1988 and, um, in, and is designed to uh, uh, rule over Gaza. Now, if one reads those charters uh, into, uh, translated into English, I can assure your viewers, and, it, and many of your viewers would, sorry, many of your listeners would already know this, but the Palestinian charters are nothing more than um, Arab Nazi ideological documents. Both of them call for the elimination of Israel, Zionism, the Jewish people, the Hamas Charter goes one further in its Nazi ideology, and I think it's in Chapter 17, which actually, and your listeners will find this incredible, but it's absolutely true, it actually demands the extermination 
of those people, for example, working for various charitable organisations who look after, let's say, terminally ill children. Both documents are full of Nazi ideology. And when I, as a first step, point that out to a, an anti-Israeli audience, I start off with the fact it's morally indecent, morally indecent for any individual group, organisation or country or a group or a culture or a people which they're not, but let's call whatever terminology you want, as the Palestinians whose charters, two separate charters, are so enshrined in Nazi ideology. So that's my first step. When I go out and challenge people with that, we have a phrase in, in, in England, we say they're gobsmacked. They, they really have never read the charters. And it's so, and it's amazing to me how many Jewish people who are proactive and supportive of Israel don't understand what's in their charters too. Now, these charters are being taught with the backing of UNRWA, the United Nations Works and Refugee Agency, which the US and the UK support and the European Union support. And those charters are being taught to what is now the fourth generation of Palestinian children. Is it any wonder that the Palestinian children hate the Jewish state of Israel and Jewish people, given that they're brought up on a diet of such rabid anti-Semitism? Right. So, Peter, you just hit... 10 home runs, that's baseball lingo, um, or I'm sorry, cricket, um, you know, with, with your statement. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, you spoke about the narrative, refuting the narrative, um, propaganda. We don't, I don't feel like we're fighting on the same level. And I'll give you an example. We're arguing about tactics here. Like you said, you can have a debate, you have all the facts, and you can prove from A to Z that that the Palestinian cause is mythical, that it was created to be at war with Israel, that there is no independent Arab Palestine, and on and on and on. And it won't change anything. You mentioned all of the networks. They are biased because their agenda is to advance an agenda, not the truth. Now I'm going to come to tactics. As Bela had mentioned, accusations of apartheid, ethnic cleansing, and genocide. Those are intentional words because they know that those words work. Apartheid is from South Africa. Genocide is the Holocaust. It's Rwanda. Ethnic cleansing is Serbia and Bosnia. Those terms are used intentionally to discredit Israel. It's not about truth. In your interview with the Middle East Report, there was a segment about from David Brog uh, from Prager University where he outlined five instances where the Arab side rejected any peace deals with Israel. Last year, a black man by the name of George Floyd was killed by a police officer. Immediately, the Free Palestine movement drew murals of George Floyd with a keffiyeh around his neck to try to say, just as blacks are mistreated in racist America, the same thing is happening with the Palestinians and Israel. So we're trying to, to me... And tell me if, you know, what you think. It's not about truth versus lies. It's about tactics and about getting out, repeating the lies enough times to those who want to believe what you're saying. I watch Fox News because I agree with their 
their, I guess, their agenda. If I hate to use the word agenda because I don't want to say that Fox has one, but they're open. CNN, MSNBC, the rest of them, they have an agenda. People watch them because they want to be fed that constant diet of left-wing progressivism. And that's why, in my opinion, I think we are losing that battle on the narrative. Um, you're correct. We've been losing that battle, as I say, for the last 40 or 50 years. Now, there, there is some fight back going on, and this is just um, one idea that some groups are getting together and, and perhaps challenging. And, let, and this brings us to the legal issue. So you will hear every day on, let's say, CNN or the other networks, and, and I'm specifically talking about um, the US channels. It's the same in the UK, but because our audience here is mainly US Israeli based, they'd be more familiar with the US networks than they would with the UK. Now, every day, when whether it's in the New York Times or Washington Post or on the channels we have just spoken about, when there's coverage of the Israel-Palestinian issue, and let's just mention this, there is so much disproportionate coverage of the US-Palestinian um, uh, issue. So, for example, it, between 1960 and 2015, 55 million indigenous black Africans were killed in various genocides, whether it was Rwanda, Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, Angola, etc., etc. I bet you not one of our audience listening today, let alone the anti-Israel mob out there, would know the name of one president of any of those countries I've just mentioned in the last 50 or 60 years. And I bet you of those 55 million indigenous black Africans that were slaughtered during that period, for every thousand of them murdered, they would get perhaps one second of air time, whereas for every Palestinian killed in uh, the uh, Israel-Palestinian conflict, they would probably get 20 hours. I mean, I'm just using that as a multiple. That's how biased we are. But let's go back to how we can start challenging this. And let's take, for example, um, someone like Christiane Amanpour, if I've got that name correctly, on CNN. Next time she's on the talking about the Israel-Palestinian issue, she will certainly use the phrase illegally occupied territory. She will certainly use that phrase. And when she's talking about that, she would be referring to what is commonly deemed the West Bank, but what people like myself refer to as Judea and Samaria. Now, Again, I apologise to your audience who already know this, but it must be reiterated time and time and time again, and I'll tell you why, because this may lead to a challenge. Israel does not illegally occupy any of that territory that your mainstream media would refer to as illegally occupied. And it's really quite simple. It goes, the, the history and the truth goes something along these lines. The League of Nations mandate, not only the mandate for Palestine, but there were various mandates drawn up in the uh, early 1920s after the fall of the Ottoman Empire and the French and the British carved up that empire. But one of the mandates was the League of Mandate uh, for Palestine, which was in 1922, I believe, 1922. 23. That mandate 
determined that the geographical area and the legally defined borders of Palestine, now called Israel, um, in the same way that Mesopotamia had a mandate, which is now called Iraq, but the legally defined borders included not only all of the West Bank and Gaza, but included an area that would uh, be most of Jordan. Unfortunately, the British inserted unilaterally Article 25, which has never been challenged legally, but we're not going to, uh, because that would uh, that, that would be just far too complex. But the international borders of Israel to this day include the West Bank and Gaza. This was further endorsed when the League of Nations um, ceased to exist and its role was taken over by the United Nations in the mid-1940s. And Article 80 of the United Nations Charter absolutely ensures, guarantees, enshrines, endorses, confirms, reconfirms that the legally international geographical area we now know as Israel includes the West Bank and Gaza. Three um, international legally binding principles known as acquired rights, estopel and uti posseditis juris further confirm what I have just stated to your to your listeners. Acquired rights simply means that once a nation receives rights under the League of Nations mandate, or in this case, UN Charter Article, Article 80, those rights cannot be taken away from her. Estopel is uh, similar but contrary, which means any nation voting for those rights cannot take those, cannot say, oh, I didn't mean uh, to vote that way, I'm going to withdraw those rights. An uti positis juris simply means that any um, territory acquired um, when the mandate was given, um, or, or sorry, any territory like the West Bank, which was taken by the, the Arab states after the 1948 war, um, is still Israel's by rights under that international legally binding principle. So to this day, when someone like uh, a, a, a presenter at CNN mentions illegally occupied territory and refers to, in this case, the West Bank, that is a false narrative, that is a lie, and for the life of me, I cannot understand why more brilliant people than me, more eloquent people like myself, why politicians who are supportive of Israel have never ever effectively challenged the um, outlets that continually promote this false narrative. It's just staggering to me. So. I have proposed this um, through various groups and we are currently in the early stages of seeing whether it would um, it will have legs to run under if, if for example a UK outlet like the BBC in their presentation uh, started to um, repeat what they've been repeating since the 1970s. So we can, the challenge is there, and as I say to you, it's just staggering to me that this false narrative concerning the illegal occupation of a geographical area 
is a false narrative and has never been challenged effectively by those who are so passionate and supportive of the Jewish state of Israel, or even by someone in the media who, um, you know, an Emil Zola type character, someone who stood up for Dreyfus when everyone else didn't and proved the truth. And yet there's no one that I know of, perhaps someone like Mr. Prager um, would would do that. I, I, I have no idea, but it's just staggering to me that we don't have the competent, eloquent, professional challenge. You're, you were talking about tactics, and that's one tactic that we, yes, it's been slow to get off the ground, but that's certainly one tactic we have in our armory that we hope to use through an organisation like the um, uh, Israel-British Association or Campaign Against Anti-Semitism or something like that in the UK. Peter, it's interesting that you're right that some Arab countries are actually, and you use the word nauseated and tired of the Palestinian lies. (laughs) Can you tell us, um, are these Arabs in specific economic groups? Um, So this is is interesting. And... um, you know, the, the big man works in very funny ways. Um, the non-Arab Iranian Shia presence has called untold havoc in the Islamic world. There is no doubt about it. Just what, look what's happened in Yemen, in Iraq, in Lebanon, and indeed in the Palestinian territories, in Syria, for example. And that combined with the pragmatism now i'm i'm not going to get involved in domestic us politics here but i have to say that combined with the pragmatism of the trump administration with the abraham accords have both combined to create a dynamic which i never thought i would live to see and that dynamic is israel's developing relationships, not only politically, economically and commercially, but much more than that. This is now, this is something that there's no going back on. Those relationships that Israel has formed with the United Arab Emirates, I I understand that Israel has just um, exhibited at a wonderful exhibition called Expo 2020 in the Middle East, where her stand was um, inundated with um, uh, Muslim and Arab representatives just wanting to uh, do business. There's now direct flights between Morocco and Israel. I gather that Saudi, who, let's face it, politically for the last two or three years has had very strong relationships with Israel because of the uh, anti-Iranian connection, uh, is now considering ties with Israel. So this developing group of Arab nations, I think there are probably five or six at the moment, is certainly bound to grow as long as the Iranians continue on their path. We've even seen riots in Iraq fairly recently, or protests in Iraq, I should say, as opposed to riots, wanting um, to create relationships with Israel. Now, I never thought, honestly, guys, I never thought in my days of pro-Israel activism that I would see the day 
let alone the rapid development, the growing commerce between Israel and those Arab nations, and it will certainly grow, that, that we have seen. So the reason, going back to your question, why the Palestinian issue is becoming of less importance, it may not be um, for propaganda reasons when these Arab nations get up at the United States. But believe me, when you see and you get feedback from the Israelis about the growing number of Muslims from other Arab countries going into Israel and wanting to do business, wanting to understand the technology, wanting to understand more and more. Israeli kids are now going to universities in Arab countries and vice versa. This is on an upward on an unstoppable upward trajectory. And that from a Palestinian point of view is probably the most significant issue that has impacted them for the, for the last 70 years. Now, what I think is going to happen, unfortunately, is this. Because this is definitely going to grow, and Iran is the Iranians domestically are under pressure uh, at home because of what's going on there. You, I don't, I, again, I don't know whether your your audience understands, but 26 out of 31 provinces in Iran are not functioning from an infrastructure point of view: buses, trains, electricity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because of a whole number of reasons. One is certainly sanctions, but the other is that. Uh, where Iran lies geographically, they are subject to quite bad earthquakes. They happen actually daily virtually in Iran. And Iran doesn't have the backup resources to get the country back on its feet. And this is creating problems domestically. Now, that together with sanctions, plus the Iranians who are an educated, and let's face it, non-Arab country, they are not, so they have no access there's no reason to support the Palestinians, um, particularly, and there's always been reasonable relationships between uh, the Farsi community, the Farsi speakers and the Hebrew speakers. So domestically, um, we can see that Israel's um, growing relationships with Arab countries is going to grow. And this in itself is going to put the Palestinian issue Whereas for 40 years, it was at the forefront of Arab Islamic political agenda is now going down the curve. Now, we will see, obviously, at the United Nations, Arab statesmen make the usual comments about Israel and there's got to be peace. But, but really, you can just see from a commercial perspective and the political relationships that Israel is developing with her Arab neighbours, how the Palestinians are gradually taking a lower place in the league tables of importance. Peter, we have a little bit more than three minutes left, but I want to answer a question, answer a point that you made or a question, and you can respond to that. Um, you asked, why is it that other than people like yourself and Dennis Prager, allow the media to advance a false narrative of West Bank, occupied West Bank instead of Judea and Samaria. And I'm going to tell you what the answer is. It's because we have the same problem that you have. It's the Jewish left. Um, the Zionist Organization of America, the ZOA, they are unquestionably and unequivocally, it's Judea and Samaria. But for decades, we had groups like APAC, considered one of the most uh, 
powerful pro-Israel lobbies, always pushing for a two-state solution. Well, if you've got two states, then you have to designate an area for the Palestinians. There are many Jewish Democrats in America, and the majority of Jews in America are Democrats, who support Israel in their way and by their own definition, but they will not unite with the broader pro-Israel movement unless we acknowledge that the West Bank is a future Palestinian homeland. And I know that in Great Britain, you also have issues. You had Jews who supported uh, Jeremy Corbyn. So this is a Jewish thing. It's not a, a brilliant thing. It's not an honesty thing. It's a something wrong with our Jewish souls that we think that the Jewish thing is compassion, but we have we've bastardized what the meaning of compassion is. It's it's hurting ourselves to help somebody else, and by doing so, we have to designate and agree that the quote-unquote West Bank will one day be a Palestinian state. You've got about a minute and a half left, so let her rip. Okay, so this is very interesting, the way you've posed that last question, because I'm going to go back to where I started when we spoke about tactics. Now, again, my starting point is always the Palestinian charters. They're both here. Any one of us can print them off from the internet and read them, and you will see nothing but two documents which are immersed in Nazi ideology. If we're talking about tactics and talking about the tide, we should be challenging all organisations, especially the left-wing Jewish organisations, about the charters of the Palestinians, and until they reject those charters, there should definitely be no chance of a Palestinian state on the West Bank. Once those charters are rejected, then we'll have a rethink. But until those until those charters are rejected and are stopped and are stopped being taught to Palestinian children in Palestinian schools funded by UNRWA, no sir, no two state solution. One of the issues that the media is feeding into society is that the Palestine is that the problems between Israel and the Palestinians is that Israel is occupying their land, and this is the myth that you have been trying to debunk. Please share with our audience in the very, very limited amount of time we have about the legally binding mandates and other legal endorsements which verify that Israel occupies no land other than she rightfully owns. Okay, so it's and very In fact, simple. you stated in a recent article that the map of Palestine does not show the existence of, El- of any Palestinians. So if you could just like please very, very okay. briefly so um, enlighten us. Legally, uh, I will reiterate again. The League of Nations mandate of 1922, UN Charter Article 80, 1945, and the the legally binding principles of acquired rights, estopel and uti positis juris, all ensure that Israel's legally defined borders encompass both the West Bank and Gaza. In fact, the very last, um, and this has never been on the news to my knowledge, but the last um, ruling on this was by the... Court of Appeal in Versailles, France, in 2013, where it was actually it was actually um, passed uh, in a European court that Israel is the legal occupant of the West Bank and Judea and Samaria, or Judea and Samaria, when the Palestinians tried to get a railway um, line connected through their thing. The BBC never actually reported on that, but I assure everybody they only have to look up. Israel is a legal occupant of the West Bank, says the Court of Appeal of Versailles, France. That was the last legal ruling on it, 2013. Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you for joining us today on The Definitive Wrap. Thank you to vinews.com. 
And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.